Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. Cheers, Mike. Cheers. <laughs> oh, man. What up, Mary Jane? Uh, I don't know, man. It's really nice to be drinking this delicious wine. It's a very special episode. Yeah, it's like uh, wine and grub. <laughs> it is wine and grub. <laughs> Welcome to a very special episode of wine and grub, everybody, where we're sipping wine and snacking on grub. Mm-hmm. Cheese, almonds, meat, fruit. Such a good grub. So delicious. And the wine is very special and was brought to us by our very special guest today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's get to him. Can we get to him in a second? Yeah. Is that rude? No. It's not rude. Not I just at all. haven't seen you in a week. Okay. And so I just really would like to hear how your week was before we get to, like, while we're sipping on this wine brought by our guest, it'd be great to hear how you're doing. Uh, I'm doing great. And I actually really want to hear about your week, too. I don't know who gets to go first. I want to know about Louisville. Okay, I'll tell you about Louisville. How mm-hmm. was your week? <laughs> <laughs> my week was great. Um, I had a house guest who kind of forced me to get my act together because I had never really like unpacked all of my boxes after moving into my apartment a few months ago. And so when I knew she was coming, and she's an immaculate, she's just got a beautiful home that I've mm-hmm. been in. And I was like, oh, if she's coming to stay with me, I better is make sure. she a statue? She is just an old friend who's a very uh, neat and clean person. Oh, I'm so envious. Yeah, I don't even so know how envious. she does it. Yeah. Like, so immaculately clean. Everything is really beautiful. And so knowing like, that she was uh, coming, I was like, I better buy stuff to make my house look like I live like an adult. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, instead of like a Roomba exploded. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> exactly. Because, totally. you know, like Bobo and Archie and I are just here and we just kind of chill and like live our lives. But I definitely had like not really addressed certain situations. And so I went and got some furniture at Ikea. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Really? Yep. Uh, okay. And um, how was it? I put it all together by myself. I contemplated actually, hi- there's a service that you can hire that will like come and put your IKEA furniture together. I've called them in a panic everything I've built and been like, can you help me? And they're like, it's $400. I'm like, gotta go. Like, <laughs> I- that was it. Yeah. I was like, I don't have that kind of money. I wouldn't shop at IKEA if I had that kind of money. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I put it all together myself. I put uh, a send help message on my IG story at one point and got a very nice message back from a local friend who was like, I'll come over and help you. And I was like, no, my pride won't let anyone help me. So I put it all together myself. I managed to get it all done. And now I have a very nice bookshelf that holds all of my things and a storage unit that has my other things and a brand new bed frame that... um, is very high <laughs> <laughs> like you get high very high it's the bed is high like the bed's so high how high is it <laughs> oh yeah let's do a michelle wolf oh yeah okay uh, yeah how high it's so high i don't even know it's just so high like i i have to climb up into it with a little like i do like a little 
when I get up into it. <laughs> like you're getting on a horse? Like you've got yeah. to kick your leg over the saddle? Yep. Like I have to sort of like shove myself up in, or like when you're getting out of a swimming pool and you kind of do like the push up on the ledge mm-hmm. and then you like get your knee out of the pool. That's what it's like getting into my bed. <laughs> that's an amazing description. Sorry. It, my mind filled with that image. I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have a step stool next to the bed uh, for Archie and Bobo. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. You didn't have that person come over and just say like, hop, and then you like step on their hand and they flip you into the bed. <laughs> like Russian acrobats? Yes. <laughs> hop, hop, and every night your arms go in the air and you're like, hop, landed. <laughs> um, yeah, it t- from the time I leave the floor until the time that I'm in the bed is like 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sleeping up very high. Uh, my dreams have been very nice. Good. And um, the breeze from the window hits me in a different way. And it's uh, been great. So that's kind of been my week. What's it like to sleep that high up? Is there is that change really? It's a real change. I used to sleep in the top bunk uh, when I worked on, a, on the boat. Uh-huh. And I loved it. I had such good dreams. I think being high up makes your dreams better. I think so. Uh-huh. I slept on the floor forever in Chicago. Well, mm-hmm. no, it started... Okay, here's the progression, the the, the de-evolution of it. Um, you know, my apartment was small. I had no money. I was working as a, a door guy at Second City, and I slept on a futon, mm-hmm. um, and eventually my back started hurting because it was such a cheaply made, you know, frame, so I put the futon mattress on the floor, and eventually, you know... It broke down until I was basically just sleeping on the floor. So then I just said, fuck it and got rid of the mattress and slept on the floor with a comforter over me for like two years. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so anything is like, so what What you're sleeping on sounds insane. Oh, I'm like Princess in the Pea right now. Yeah. It's amazing. What do you sleep on? Uh, oh, now I sleep on two futon mattresses on the floor. It's very different. <laughs> Like a pile of potatoes. Yeah, it's it's cool. I could put them side by side, have someone come over, maybe sleep next to them. Mm-hmm. But instead, I put them on top of each other. Sweet. Yeah. And sometimes I put myself between them and just wish everything would go away. <laughs> it's called a gravity blanket. You can get them on Amazon. I know yeah. what you. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> it's um. Congrats on building. How long? I mean, it's. I can't even believe you're here. <laughs> That's <laughs> it so took hard. A couple of, I mean, it took. Yeah, I think I built the bed frame in one day, and then uh, gave myself a break and, like, I think took myself out to dinner. <laughs> I was like high fives to myself. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, I mean, I had a deadline because I had a friend coming, so I had to sort of like have it all made. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would just be looking at a pile of unopened IKEA boxes right now. <laughs> so yeah, two two days, I guess. Wow. Also, props to you for getting rid of the boxes. I I have such. I still have an unpacked from Louisville. Like, oh, do what? you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If I do when I, I when I do an IKEA project, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd finish the project, but then those cardboard boxes are leaning against my wall for another month at least. Oh yeah, that's part of it. But that was that was having my friend Roz come visit because I know that like I've been to Roz's home. I mean, I've known her since we've known each other since we were eleven, growing up in Newfoundland, and she was always like her room was always the nicest, with like, you know, her Tiger Beat pictures were always like cut out really nicely and she laminated. Had, like, yeah, and she always had like cut flowers and like she vacuumed under her bed and stuff. And I was what? always just kind of like, yeah. 
you know, I, and my room was always like crazy. Like I painted on my walls. My parents let me paint on my walls and like just, you know, animals everywhere. And it was just a very different, we had very different like styles of living, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the montage is pretty terrific in the film. It was totally. And we were like wild together, but totally different. And so now like here we are all grown up and I visited her at her gorgeous home in Las Vegas. And you know, she lives with like her big, beautiful dog, Vince, but it's still like, there's not a dog hair in sight. You could eat off her kitchen floor. Everything's just so. And so when she was coming to stay with me, I had that panic of like, oh God, in so many ways, I still am not a full real grown up. Like I don't have a bed frame or a bookcase and I, that box over in there in the corner. I moved in months ago and I haven't opened it. So it was good. It forced my hand and it's, uh, now I feel like I have a, I like my home looks nice. I like it, it. It really looks nice. Thanks. Yeah. And it's cool. There's something so satisfying about putting everything in a place. Mm-hmm. Oh, fit it all in and have oh. it just fit perfectly. Home. This home. is my first, this is my first home in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. I've been here for, it'll be two years in July, but I was in uh, like short term kind of rental sublet situations until a few months ago. And so now I'm home. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, sleeping high. Yep, sleeping high. Princess in the pea. And welcome home from your trip. I want to hear. How how was it? It was amazing. I yeah. needed this trip so bad. Yeah. So bad. You've been I've working. Been working really, really hard and burning both of the candles at all four ends. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. uh and so it was something I was really looking forward to because I haven't been to Louisville in a really long, long time. Um, and so I, I got to be a very special guest on the Muse Cruise, which is the cruise right before the Derby. So really quick, I'd love to say thank you to Jessica Mathis, who made all of this happen. Not only did she create the Muse Cruise, which was a huge success. There was like over 200 people on this boat just walking around and having a ball. And as the boat pulled back into the dock at the end of it, the sun was setting in front of us and we all just silently held our bourbons and just watched the sun die oh magical magical it was amazing and on top of that i got to do like morning tv yeah and promote the cruise which felt really really cool because i got to do a cooking demo and was i high yeah why because i flew with a vape pen why (laughs) wouldn't you shout out tsa you didn't get me this time And so I got to teach this morning TV show how to make a frozen pizza. And then when I make the reveal of the pizza afterwards, it's burnt to a crisp. You know, it's a disaster. It's very fun. And then I pour ranch dressing all over it, take a bite. And I'm like, see you on the cruise. And it was great. It was great. I loved watching it and watching the hosts kind of like play along. But they had that like, I don't know kind of like local TV, like good humored and like, oh, we're going along with this kind of whimsical idea and we don't really like do this kind of thing so often, but we're good sports and the whole vibe of it was great. It was very funny. I loved watching it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. The coolest thing was afterwards we went to get breakfast because it was, you know, nine in the morning doing that, whatever. And we get to this really cool egg spot. And as soon as we walk in, there's a couple who are finishing up and paying their bill. And she was like, oh, I just saw you on TV. You were so funny. Oh my gosh, that was so great. And we were just like, oh my God, thank you. Like, <laughs> You're watching like the stoner morning news segment <laughs> yeah. in Louisville local TV. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we flew them in from LA to make burnt pizza and cover it in ranch. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have a very reasonable rate 
<laughs> Such a reasonable rate if you'd like me to come do that in your city. <laughs> we'll work for burnt pizza and ranch. <laughs> and, that's it. That's <laughs> and weed. And weed. Yeah. In uh, in the reverse order. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the other really cool things to just like talk about was, so I went to this distillery. I went on a distillery tour. Ooh. Uh, the Creed is their name, but it's a family who were farmers and then it's like 60 plus acres of a farm and they learned it's like we have these 15 foot high corn stalks of this corn called bloody butcher corn which is just this vibrant deep red and they're like i bet we can make vodka with this i bet we can make moonshine with this i bet we can take all of our crops that are growing on this ranch or on this farm and i bet we can do something with this bigger and better than just like nourishment and they created what will be, and mark my words on this day, it's going to be a huge, huge family-owned business. It's going to sweep the country, if not the world. And it's all done what they call ground to glass. That's so cool. Yeah. Ground to glass. Right. And it's called Jephthah Creek, the distillery? Creed. Creed. Like the Jephthah Creed. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, I watched a video, but I didn't retain it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there's an article, Jessica wrote an article about it on Food and Dining, where she's the editor-in-chief. Awesome. So if you do want to know about it, Food and Dining is uh, this quarterly in Louisville that she's the editor-in-chief of. And she wrote a really great article about um, what I just said, but way more accurate and a lot more interesting because she can write. That's awesome. Yeah. What a cool trip. And you sent some pictures of some other meals that you had while you were down there that just had me angry. Fuck. I mean, all right. The fried chicken. Fuck yes. Okay. All right. Fuck. Please get into it because like I want to punch, I don't know, you, myself, the wall. Like some of that stuff made me mad because I wasn't there for it. Uh Uh-huh. When you see that picture and you're like, fuck you. Fuck you, man. Don't Mm -hmm. put that on your goddamn fuck you. Is that why you're wearing that cast? Yes. My broken knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like you you made all the Ikea furniture. And then I put my fist through it. (laughs) Because you saw a picture of Mike. <laughs> I'm not violent, I promise. I just, I'm, I just like food. Yeah, I get it. So um, I got to interview uh, James Beard, winning chef mm-hmm. Michelle Bernstein. She is someone who I've been very familiar with for a very long time. I mean, she's out of Miami, but she is like world renowned. And I got to speak with her for 10 minutes because she was in Louisville doing a Macy's culinary explosion. I don't know what the fuck it's called. It was for Macy's. She's amazing. She was nice enough to talk to me. Call it the Macy's culinary explosion because that sounds like shitting your pants. It does. (laughs) So, not that, hopefully. And and that's weird too because we were in the bed section. Oh, weird. Like cooking. So. It was cool. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. Okay, Michelle Bernstein. Michelle, we're getting way off track. Yeah. Um, she made a sweet tea lemon fried chicken and changed the world. Fuck off. Fucking amazing. I didn't get to eat it, and I'm mad about it, but talk about it anyway. Sure. Okay. Well, the brine is straight up sweet tea and lemon. God damn it. You know, let that chicken just sit in it and soak it all up. Oh. Yeah. And then just fried up like yeah so we we actually talked about and i'd love to hear what you think mm. so do you do a double dredge if you were to do fried chicken or a single dredge i've only made fried chicken once in my whole life and i don't remember if it was i don't even know it was my sister's recipe i'm okay. not a fried chicken expert i love a double dredge mm-hmm. but i think it's harder to get the chicken cooked before okay. the outside burns mm-hmm. um so we did it she was talking about a single dredge for it so what she did was you know you let it marinate in this amazing 
I should post, I'll post, I have the recipe. I mean, I'll post it. Damn. But like, so, and then she would do a single dredge in seasoned flour and then put it in the oil. So at the end of the day, you have this like golden, crispy, beautiful, peppery fried chicken. But then the chicken itself tastes like sweet tea and lemon and, you know, your most juicy dark meat you can imagine. Ugh, the dark meat is so crucial. Yeah. So important. Right. Just a juicy fucking thigh. Mm-hmm. And then was there gravy on it? Oh, you know there was some gravy. I saw it on your IG story. Yeah. Uh, we were all licking our plates in the middle of the bedding <laughs> <laughs> wing of Macy's. It was weird. It's so weird. It was weird, but it was so earned. She earned just, us just like nose. You know where you lick your plate and your nose kind of drags oh, through yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of... Get like, a little on your eyelashes. <laughs> yes. There was uh-huh. a lot of gravy eyelashes. Just... <laughs> Mm. It is incredible. Fuck yes. Yeah. So um, I'll post the gravy recipe too because it was amazing top to bottom. It was really interesting too because she was so serious about certain things when her and I chatted. But when it came to like, hey, what do you like to eat at 1 a.m.? You know, she really cut loose and had a real fun time with it. But when it came to like seasonality and ingredients and the nitty gritty, you could see like why she was able to probably fight through a lot of fucking bullshit in her life to get to the way she, like to the position she's in. Yeah. Cause she's low key at the end of the day, like tough as nails and no nonsense. I'm sure she's a boss, boss lady. Cause you know, to be a woman at the top of her game in the, in the culinary world, you know, I mean, she probably came up in the, like in the nineties, right? Like, I don't, I don't even know how old even, she is or whatever, but like, yeah. it's not easy to work in kitchens and definitely to be a, like a woman in that game. You know, she's there. They were further and fewer between a while back. I mean, I think there are more and more now, like the James Beard Award winners were just announced today and a lot of them were women. That was really heartening to Absolutely. see in here. But like in my years of restaurant world work, there are not a whole lot of women at that in those positions and it's so fucking amazing to just like watch them and listen to them and learn from them totally yeah and i feel like one i mean congrats uh gabrielle gabriel hamilton yeah, yeah mm-hmm. prune like, yeah you know best chef uh but i feel like there was a lot of diversity in the james beard winners for this year as well yeah so really nice really exciting and uh like let's like rein it in because um the humanitarian of the year award went to chef jose andres Oh my God. Amazing. Right. I got to see him uh, speak just a, just a week ago. I went to the LA Kitchen Food Bowl here in LA at the Wiltern Theater and I watched him just, I don't know, like entertain 2000 people with pure energy and joy and charisma while dropping truth bombs about, <laughs> you know, Puerto Rico and the need to grow sustainable food and feed poor communities and prepare for economic disaster and, and, and other kinds of disasters and, and just disaster relief and how important it is to feed the people. And, and then he like with his infectious laugh would just be like, you know, crack a joke and have everyone laughing. He's just an incredible person. And, um, can we do one? I yeah. just thought of one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so after I say the joke, start laughing and then, okay, you ready? Yeah. Knock, knock. Who's there? Boo. Boo who? Why are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why you're crying. Oh. 15 million people are without energy right now in Puerto Rico. <laughs> like, is that the vibe where he's just like crushing it and then? Yeah. I mean, yeah, his jokes were better. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm sorry. He was, he Don't was, be but it was, sorry. <laughs> he was exactly that though. Like just beautiful, uh, truth sandwiched, you mm. know, in a truth and knowledge sandwiched between very charming and charismatic observational humor about like all of us being there and the guests on the panel and just the whole night. And it was really cool to see him. And then, yeah, the award was announced and, uh, Awesome. And then our guest today ties into that. A hundred percent. Huge. Huge. Uh, so our guest today is not only the sommelier for Jose Andres' The Bazaar, but he is also just open Somni, and it's Brandon Murati. He was so incredible. He showed up today. He brought us this wine that we're drinking. Yeah. He came to record. He walked in the door. He looks so incredible. Such a such a, like a good looking guy with like just like he great just, fit. Great, yeah, thank you. Great fit. And uh, he handed us this bottle of wine and said, "Hey, uh, I brought this wine. I remember you liked it." Now we ate there six months ago at the bazaar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he brought us the wine that we had with dinner that night. What a fucking move! I mean, my God, hit my he blew my mind. Yeah, and um, and he also brought another wonderful wine that we enjoyed that we talk about a lot during the uh, during our long freewheeling conversation about wine and creativity and everything. Oh, yeah, under the sun. It was a two bottle, two empty bottle conversation. It was a good one. It was really good. Yeah. Also, this wine even today, oh, so freaking delicious it's it's like spicy did you say what it is yep okay it's like fucking so good Juan Gil. so i'd love to give a little intro for brandon before we go to the interview only because i mean he's at he's he's at the top of his game and he's working with you know just such an above and beyond class of restaurateurs and everything like there's a reason he's where he is yeah but you should also know he's worked with gordon ramsay the Beverly Hills Hotel, Electric Owl, which is a great place on Sunset if you've never been. And if you don't know the bazaar, look up the bazaar. The food is beautiful. We'll post pictures from our meal. The vibe is, I would say, unpretentious. Absolutely. Like I felt cozy. Yep. Yeah. For for what we were eating. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a lot of whimsy and fun in it, you know, that takes away all of that sort of weird stuffiness that exists in fine dining so often, you know? Yeah. And we talk so much about that too, which mm-hmm. I didn't expect, but it was such a cool, like, yeah. I learned a lot with this. It really was so cool to sit down with someone who is at the top of his game in one of the finest restaurants in LA and really hear how his whole thing with wine and food and all of that experience is to put someone at ease and have them enjoy it and yeah and that no fussiness no stuffiness Mm -hmm. just authenticity and like and fun and creativity and 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 uh and youth and exuberance i think yes a huge part of that huge yes and so check out somni if you have a chance and you're in los angeles uh check out brandon's instagram and his website it will absolutely not only be in the links on this show but you own google use google Everyone owns Google, so just type in his name. Why am I getting angry? I don't know. I don't know either. Have some more wine. Okay. I mean, this is a very special episode of Wine and Grow. Yeah. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Do you want to talk about the new restaurant first? Because you've been working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, <laughs> uh, forever to get this place popping, yeah, and it sure, just opened? Yeah, so it's taking over the... Um, there's an old restaurant inside the SLS Hotel, inside the bazaar called Sam, which is taking over that space. Um, it was also a tasting menu restaurant. It was kind of a, more of a secret. And I think one of the uh, best deals in LA was $150 tasting menu for 
it's insane. Same chef that currently is helming the kitchen, Chef Aitor Zabala. Um, so that closed uh, July of last year. We did a really cool pop-up dinner with um, Chef Andoni of uh, Mugaritz. Um, Holy from cow, Spain. really? Yeah. <laughs> Living legends all <laughs> yeah, around. Exactly, yeah. So that was incredible to be able to see them. Kind of, we did um, one course Sam dish, one course Mugaritz dish back and forth for a couple nights um, to be able to pair wines and work with that team was pretty incredible. Yeah. Definitely uh, one of my, the chefs I, that kind of like sparked an interest for me in this, in this industry, the way that it's, he thinks, you know, so with such imagination, you know. Um, so anyway, so we closed um, after that pop-up and then it was about a six-month hiatus kind of gearing up, building out the space. We installed an entire new kitchen and redid the entire space to be more of um, a chef's counter before it was like a, a separate four-wall dining room, white tablecloth style with a, a kitchen that was kind of piggybacking off of what Bazaar had. Um, and this was basically so that we could get more tools, more, um, just have more things to play with. Um, I think that we were kind of hitting a limit creatively and this gave us a chance to kind of really put things together. It was definitely something that um, Chef Aitor had wanted to, to put together with Jose for the last five years or so. So, And the name means dream. Yep, exactly. Yeah, Somni translates to dream in Catalan, which is where um, Chef Aitor is from. Um, so this is essentially yeah, their, their dream to open this restaurant, which... Yeah, it's, uh-huh. I mean, it's been... And you're one not, of the weavers of the dream. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah that's man. True. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Is it what... Actually, before... We can keep going on that, and then I'd love to hear how you got to where you are also. Sure. Because I think your history is very interesting. But when you're... But I we may as well just dive into how you create something like this since yeah. we're on that track. Yeah. Like... What comes first? The food, like what you're excited about and what they're excited about? How does it start? Well, I think um, for me personally, it just depends on each person. For me, I have um, a back of the house background. So the first, my first love in this industry was food. And I think that's what I think makes me a little bit different as a sommelier is this appreciation for what the back of house does and the ingredients. And so I think about the food uh, first. I think about the concept. Um, I think our responsibility in a lot of ways, especially now in the dining world is to tell a story and to make sure that all the components work together to tell that cohesive story, Um, especially with a chef like Jose and Chef Aitor, who in a lot of ways are about kind of um, that level of creativity with food as opposed to just um, something that you eat. Yeah. Well, meant to be cerebral, you know, when Mary Jane and I went to uh, the bazaar and had the tasting menu with you, it was so obvious, like that menu could not have come from anyone else except for that chef and from you and everyone there because it was bold. Like it was his personality and the way that it progressed. Yeah. Until, and it had a sense of humor. And it was so funny. Which is one of yeah. my favorite parts about that that menu and that whole experience. Yeah, was isn't that, that cool? like as a dining experience, there were, there were like little food jokes in there and it was wonderful to like just have it paired with like all of the things that you gave us to like really go on a journey that had a story, as you say. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it's it's first thinking about the food and that that kind of whimsical quality and how you can incorporate, you know, wine into that um, that philosophy, so to say. Um, it's you know a lot of it's some of it's technical, you know, thinking about what works with what. Um, but at the end of the day, it's what the experience. Um, 
it's the experience that the guest is going to have. It's trying to think about, um, kind of predict how things will go together and work well. And I don't mean just like flavors. I mean, the way that the label on a bottle looks or introducing a wine from Mexico that someone has never had before. Cause this even is something that we, that I poured, um, for part of the pairing, um, for Somni at really? one point. Yeah. Well, let's get into what you are sharing sure. with us today. So this is, um, we're drinking a wine from Mexico and you guys can't see it at home, but, or it's in your beautiful. cars, we'll, but the we'll label is, the labels, I think a lot of the beauty of this, it's, a. Uh, it's from Tecate, so just south of the border of California. Um, this is the Tellez family making this wine. Um, it's called Bichi because in um, the Sonoran dialect that translates to naked, um, which this wine is in that kind of um, low interventionist uh, wine world. Um, what what does that mean? So it's like it's like the I hate to use the word natural because it's it, there's a lot of um, I guess confusion about what like category that would be or what technically that is. But yeah, it falls into that kind of ethos of the natural wine being um, nothing really added, nothing taken away. Um, A little bit more transparent as far as the winemaking practice goes. The grape in this wine is actually unknown to them. It's from a 60 to 70 year old um, vines from one plot, but they're not sure yet scientifically what grape that is. Um, The label is kind of representative of their character um, as a family, a lot of whimsical um, art. It's a caricature of a, a lucha libre, a Mexican wrestler who's completely naked except for his mask that he's wearing, and he's, <laughs> he's got this sledgehammer in his hand. Yeah, and the color is just gorgeous too. It's this like sunset pink mm-hmm. kind of hue, a little bit of cloudiness because it's unfiltered. It tastes a little like a sunset, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like it, it's a little sweet. Uh, uh, it's a summertime sip. Mm-hmm. I wish my palate was good enough to know more than it tastes like the sunset. But no, that's not. That's what I did. I don't agree with that. I don't think that. I think your. I think that's a lot of the the problem in our industry is that the wine has been made to feel like it's so elitist, and that you have to have a certain level of. Um, intellect to be able to enjoy wine but that's why i like pouring wines like this because the fact that you said that it reminds you of a sunset and earlier when we first tasted it you wanted to lay in a hammock or it made you feel like you you were laying in a hammock like that's the transportation that wine is supposed to take people on and that's the intellectual aspect of it it's not about oh this smells like rose petals and it's you know it it tastes like you know a little bit of tar it's more about the fact that it, it tastes like you know the Jolly Rancher that I had as a kid, and it reminds me of that, or it makes me feel like I've got no shoes on and my toes are in the sand and it's warm and it feels good and it gives me goosebumps because of that and that the label is fun and the color is beautiful and makes me happy. And that's just, that's what wine is supposed to do, really. And I think part of my responsibility, especially in a restaurant like this that's so, quote-unquote, high-end and in Beverly Hills is to play a part in that dialogue where or part of that conversation where we try and break down wine and keep it from being this um, super gated and elitist kind of beverage because it's meant to just, you know, be enjoyed and and just like anything else, like food is, you know. I think yeah. that food is, in a sense, very similar to wine, but luckily you can not... F- you don't you don't order you don't go to a restaurant and say, oh, I've never had, you know, this before. I don't know if I'm smart enough to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? One of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, our experience when you were uh, off choosing wines for us was that 
it was so anti-elitist because there was such a selection of amazing wines that you could spend money on and we're in Beverly Hills and we're at this, you know, it was a fine dining experience, but you were quick to, I think, identify that we maybe wanted something that was like, you know, like a wonderful to go along with the experience, but also an affordable wine and that it wasn't sort of about spending a lot of money on something just to feel like it was a special occasion. Sure. Yeah. And that to me is so hugely important because everyone should be able to enjoy wine and there are wonderful wine stores where you can go and buy great bottles of wine for less than $20 and you don't have to drink the plonk that people think. It doesn't have to be that experience. Well, yeah, I think that's a big part of a responsibility of a sommelier um, or anyone in the food and beverage industry is to have, which I, I think what separates great industry professionals from good ones is this ability to observe um, people and to be able, based off of your experience, know how to guide them in the direction that they want to go. And I feel like that's a that's an important part of making sure that that experience is special for somebody. Because like you said, you're dealing with a list where you have bottles that are $11,000 and you have bottles that are $60. How do you know what to do, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, in that situation. And it's also important because, in my opinion, there's a time and a place for everything. Not necessarily we have to drink beachy every day, you know. I mean, I I wouldn't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but there's those occasions where maybe you want to try something that's, you know, a little bit, has a a certain quality that's... um, makes you feel a little bit more elegant as opposed to relaxed because of certain qualities of it. You know, there's time and place for everything. Just like there's a time and place to drive through Jack in the Box. There's a time and place to go to a, you know, a tasting menu. So there's like been a couple of restaurants I've been to where the food was great, but I was so uncomfortable the whole time because I didn't even know like what to do with my napkin. Like Mm -hmm. what, what is everyone else doing with their napkin? You know, but there's a, I don't know if it's casualness, as much as just like a welcomeness mm-hmm. to like you and your vibe and how you talk to us ab- right. as like, look, this is dope. This is dope. And this right. is dope. Yeah. And it was just so disarmingly like inviting. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my intention. I feel, trust me, as someone who has worked in the industry for 12 years now, I also get those feelings that you get. It's human nature. I, I've, gone to I won't name any names but I've gone to high 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 end tasting menu restaurants and felt so nervous yeah and I do this for a living you know what I mean (laughs) and I think that's one thing that I realized in the last few years of my career that there is a um there's a disconnect in the kind of the, the timeline of the way that the fine dining restaurant evolved and our um, responsibility as professionals is to realize that there is a, a definitely a sense of discomfort for the guest when they go to an experience that they've never been to before. And if our intention, which I hope that everyone who works in this business intention is to make people happy and make them feel comfortable. Um, if that's our intention, then we ha- have a responsibility to learn how to m- make people more comfortable in those circumstances. Because I don't want people to go to a spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to a, a restaurant and be nervous about, you know, if they're going to put their glass at the right place or be so nervous that a they're going to have to spend thousands of dollars in a restaurant like that in order to you know if they're going to talk about wine and also to feel like that they can be themselves and do whatever they feel comfortable um to have a good time. It's yeah. just 
it's necessary. It's it's kind of troubling when you see like it's it's just sad. You know, you see people that feel uncomfortable when they're in those situations. It's not shouldn't be that way. You know, it's you're supposed to have fun. You know, you're supposed to drink wine and have good food and just relax. You know. Can I ask what your advice would be for someone who, um, you know, wants to shop for good wine, maybe isn't going to a restaurant, has a decent local wine store, doesn't know that much about wine? Like, I, I, I'm a label shopper, yeah. for sure. I'm, I don't blame you. I, I, think that's, well, I think that's one of the cool things about our industry now is that you have a lot of really beautiful art happening on labels. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's great. I think that this idea that you can't judge a book by its cover is in a certain sense important because there are wines that are insanely beautiful and the labels don't really say that. Um, but I think we have to realize that wine is a full experience just like, you know, when you go to a, a clothing store, you don't just ask what the, the material is or what the fabric is like. You're not just concerned about what kind of fabric it is. You're concerned about the aesthetics of it. You know, that's also, I mean, we're getting going to get really heady here. So that's Great. also Great. what, um, like in a sense, wine is like fashion that the more expensive wines aren't necessarily, I'm not talking about all of them though. Some of the most expensive wines aren't necessarily expensive because of the fact that they're of higher quality. They're expensive because of the brand, right? And some people want to spend money to show people that they can buy that brand the same way that you wear a Gucci, a Gucci t-shirt or the same way that you, you know, you have, you know, Prada sunglasses or whatever it is that lets people know that, hey, I have money. That's the same. It's the same exists in the wine world. Um, so I guess to answer your question, it's not bad to go off of labels because your part of your enjoyment is the aesthetic beauty of your product. Um, but I think a lot of Psalms will give the same advice that just be transparent. Say, hey, this is what I like. This is what I'm interested in. Um, this is what I've had before that's good to me. What do you suggest? And hey, I don't know much. And this is how much I want to spend. It's, I think, one of the best things that um, some people are learning that dine out and also go to stores is to just be transparent about their budget. Because it's like this awkward conversation. And if the, I, I personally think I'm good at kind of gauging where people like what kind of occasion it is and how much they want to spend yeah. by giving them options and right. seeing like their I was wearing sandals and a cargo shorts so you knew what I was about but but see that's a, but that's not necessarily true though because <laughs> there's trust me there has been people in sandals and cargo shorts that will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on wine and food and you'd be surprised so I, I don't mean any of that in the judgmental sense because I, th- I don't think that we need to judge people by any stretch of the imagination it's the last thing that I would think we should do i just mean gauging their energy you know gauging the kind of occasion it is um those kinds of things but the more transparent you are the more options that are going to be what you're looking for you're going to find i think can we start at the beginning for you like now that you've dropped so much knowledge (laughs) where did how did i start yeah i mean 12 years 12 years is um it just sounds like you found something that spoke to you and you leaned in hard yeah well honest i mean to be honest and you saw it, I think, when in reading a little bit about me, that I, I'm, I started in the art world. That was kind of how I grew up. Uh, my family, they're all involved in arts in one way or another, musicians, writers, painters. And so I was always raised with a, a great um, amount of exposure to art and um, that kind of lifestyle. And so I always thought that I would um, do, make my profession in the art world. Um, and then it's kind of, um, 
kind of a, a classic story. I just needed a job or I wanted a job and there was a coffee shop around the corner from my apartment. This is 12 years ago or so. And I was always mesmerized by the way that it was like a single person operated uh, situation. So the, the barista was also the cashier, the dishwasher, that person made food, served tables. And I was always intrigued by kind of just the way in which they were able to do all these things so efficiently, the movement, there was just some aesthetic beauty to that job. And it was open from noon to midnight every day. It was more like more like a bar for people that didn't want to drink alcohol than anything else. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of screenplays got finished there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it's yeah, it's it's true. Um, and the moment that I started working behind that bar, I don't know what happened. Like I honestly just became obsessed. Like I wow. it's like like I like got I just became so immersed in this world and I couldn't understand why I would show up to work like three hours before my shift and just do dishes for the other people that worked there just so that I could hang out and watch what they were doing and talk to them and just be around them. And the owner of that, that place who's one of my best friends still to this day. He kind of saw that passion, took me under his wing. And then like, like my mind exploded because he was taking me to Thai town and showing me like all these ethnic restaurants going to San Gabriel Valley to have dumplings and like just taking me to the restaurant supply store and these new restaurants and the farmer's market. And eventually I decided that I wanted to be a chef. I was, this is what I want to do. I love food so much. Um, I was watching Emeril Lagasse at 3 a.m. every day. Yes. And like that would, get me so, <laughs> that would get me so excited. And it wasn't even like from a perspective of like, I want to eat all this food. It was just the way he like, like conducted himself in that space, the way he like organized all his mise en place, like the fact that everything was like designed to be done in a certain way. So with such detail, like that stuff just interested me in, in a way. So there was uh, the Rustic Canyon family of restaurants in Santa Monica was opening their second um, restaurant outside of Rustic, which was Huckleberry, and oh my gosh, and they needed yeah. and Ray, um, my boss at uh, Cafe Balcony, the guy who took me under his wing, he um, would help them with their coffee program at Rustic. Now they needed someone to run their program at Huckleberry, and Cafe Balcony was closing, and so they introduced me. He introduced me to them, and I told them, I'm more than happy to help you guys open and run your program, but. I want to learn how to cook. So can you teach me how to cook? I asked Zoe and, and yeah. Josh if that was possible. And so I did that. So I ran their coffee program. And at night, after the shift, I would be a prep cook. And I would stay there and chop herbs and watch them and learn how to trust chicken and make stocks and make soups and just all like the basics that you would expect. And I did that, you know, seven days a week. And then I ended up going to Rustic Canyon and staging with them over there and worked under Evan Funky, which was awesome. And yeah, it was like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> come on. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I just, just dived in. I'm sorry yes, to interrupt for really quick. If anyone wants to look up Huckleberry, there's a wonderful video of Phil Rosenthal there as part of his old PBS show. And it's very worth watching and very fun. And I just want to let people know who aren't from here how to access Huckleberry. Yeah, sure. Okay. It's an awesome restaurant group. One of the best restaurant groups I've ever worked for. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry, but you were working with Evan the Legend. Yeah. And, uh... and well, so I was working there and I, I was loving it, but there was a part of me as I got more and more into the kitchen that missed that interaction with guests, with people. 
and I didn't understand what it was that I was missing exactly, but I, and I slowly realized that as I kind of got more and more away from people that that was my first, you know, love of it was not only the food and the ingredients and all of this, these the quality products, but it was the setting in which you could interact with people and talk to people about it. Um, and I still cook to this day, but, and I think I'm grateful that I had all that experience, even though I don't work in kitchens anymore, because now I can, you know, make a mean pasta bolognese because of all that <laughs> there experience. There it is. That's what's up. <laughs> so... Anyway, so I thought, you know, let's learn the fine dining world. Let's learn the front of house and fine dining. So I started to work around LA, worked my way up in the full tier system in fine dining restaurants from food runner to back server to front server to captain to wine captain, et cetera. Um, and the way that I got into wine, and this will be like kind of the end of this, this kind of story or journey here, is that it's a funny story. So I'm not going to name any names here because it puts um, certain people in a bad light in certain restaurants in a bad light but so i'm a food runner the lowest of the low and i'm just like it's my first fine dining restaurant and i'm just blown away by like the ornate decanters the glassware the silverware this i mean just so many people working it's insane to me and i'm just i'm blown away by it all and uh, um one day i'm Going, so we had some silverware in this back dining room that we would have to get sometimes. So I, I was walking in a, a back service station where one of the wine cellars are. So I'm walking through this back service station and no one's there. Um, I walk through it to go to the back dining room and I see one of the captains drinking something out of a to-go cup um, in that back area. Um, and I'm walking through and he says, hey, Brandon, 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 come over here. And I say, okay, all right. Uh, you know, this is one of the captains, like, you know, you, know, oh, you want me to taste something? Okay, sure. It's like, I want you to taste this. So he pours me uh, a glass of something. I didn't know what it was at the time. I later found out that he had stolen a bottle of Chateau de Chem from the <laughs> cellar. And if you guys don't know what Chateau de Chem is, it's the considered, it's widely considered the greatest dessert wine in the world. It's one of the most expensive wines a lot of times in the world. <laughs> he's just drinking just, <laughs> He's just drinking it in the back, and he says, Brandon, I want you to taste this. And I have no clue what's, what's going on. So I taste it, and immediately after I taste this wine, I just get goosebumps all over my arm. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. I couldn't understand how a beverage could taste both sweet and have a level of acidity that balances at the same time. I was tasting things that reminded me of my mom's cooking like saffron and it reminded me of like these like fruit but like very specifically like dried apricots and these are things that I had never, I tasted wine before but didn't really understand it or could wrap my head around it and it was just this eye-opening experience. Um, later I found out that he got fired for that experience, but the, the, that feeling that I got, um, where it was just this emotional connection to this product, um, just drove me to learn more and more about it and just want to discover what else or why and try and answer all these questions for myself. And so from that point forward, it was just this discovery of wine and trying to, to learn more and more about it. And I haven't, I guess I haven't stopped since. I wonder where this guy is today because he's responsible for a lot of my life <laughs> oh my god that's so like mythical that's the stuff of legend yeah i was telling the story to one of the old captains in in sam the previous space that somni is in now um and he was telling me he wants to make this documentary and he's gonna wants to call it chasing to chem because like to this day i still like when i taste wine with vendors or i'm tasting new wines like i still 
I don't like to me, I think wine, there's a lot of like factual information. I'm sure we'll get into with some of the questions here. There's a lot of like specifics about oak treatment and the time with the skin and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's an emotional reaction that I'm looking for. It's a physical, like I feel something when I taste this wine, like that's what I'm looking for. And so I'm chasing that same feeling that I got back then every time that I taste wine. And when I do get that feeling, it's like, I need to have this wine. I need to put this wine on my list. I need to show people this thing. And this is, Beachy is one of these wines that gave me that feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do have questions, but please, Mary Jane. Well, I was just going to say, I'm interested in hearing your, so I live in Little Armenia, mm -hmm. and um, there's an Armenian market with Armenian wines. Oh, really? Which is something that I just know nothing about. Okay. And I just wonder if, it, like, there are uh, underrepresented wines that you would love to, like, I mean, this, I've certainly never had a Mexican wine. Yeah. This is my first time having this beautiful yeah, yeah. rosé from Mexico, but... Uh, and I went to Greece last year and had some beautiful Greek yeah. wines. And Greek I didn't yeah. know much about that. But like, are there wines from parts of the world that you think will soon have their day in the sun because people just don't know about them? I think I'm more less excited about regions and more excited about, you know, n new things, younger people making wine. A lot of times I think wine is such a traditional product that it's just my grandfather did this and his grandfather did that. And there's a beauty to that as well. And that's part of the reason why I fell in love with it. But I think there's a, a new, not only on the, on the winemaker side of newer, younger, fresher people that are making cool stuff, but because of that, I think there's also, and I don't know which came first, chicken or the egg, there's also from the consumer standpoint, people like you guys that are totally down to try a bottle of Beachy Pet Mex, um, you know, that tastes like Jolly Ranchers, you know what I mean? Like yes. that's, that's, I think, um, the most the thing that I'm most excited about because it's taking that um, elitist mentality about wine and just making it an agricultural product and making it about having a good time and drinking something delicious. Yeah, I would rather share wine than a twelve pack of Budweiser. <laughs> I mean, that has a time and a place as well, though. For sure, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I just did a pop up where I was. Um, I had a one of the pastry chefs. Um, she spent a lot of time in Brazil, and she wanted to do these Brazilian snacks. And so we did a pop up with her doing these like Brazilian bar snacks. And next to that, I was pouring some some um, some cool natural wine, and um, and then also the beer option was Budweiser out of a can, <laughs> which like it's funny because I had some psalms from like these very high end restaurants that like only pour like first growth Bordeaux or used to that kind of stuff, and maybe aren't as into like the the, like the high low aspect of our industry and yeah. one of my favorite things to do in uh, when i'm off of work is to get fast food and just pair it with with awesome wine i think that that's like that high low aspect of having like a hundred dollar bottle of wine and like a ten dollar <laughs> <laughs> i would eat at that restaurant every day right? man yes yeah. well i think there's a i think there's a place for it in our our like fine dining world that because so many younger people with creative backgrounds or, or have an interest in food the same way they would have an interest in art or music or movies. There's an opportunity to kind of create tasting menu restaurants or fine dining restaurants with that slant or like almost like stoner food, like where you're pouring cool wines and you're, it's okay to have like a Budweiser pairing and like it, because it's nostalgic and like you're serving things that like maybe you're not serving Kobe beef and uni anymore, but maybe you're serving like this, uh, you know, barbecue chips and sour cream it's just like an awesome food combination yeah and yeah maybe like something that 
you know, is not thought of as quote unquote fine dining, but it's a flavor profile and it's unique and it's interesting. And what should I pair with barbecue chips Um, or sour cream? Modelo and lime, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only I only say that because I had that the other night and it was amazing. <laughs> oh, it sounds like the acidity. Made my mouth water. No, yeah. the, well, the story behind that is I had um I was who was I talking to? One of the cooks in um, who's a friend of mine at, in Somni, and we were talking about some, eating something after work, and he's like, uh, "You should go and you should buy barbecue Lay's chips and just like generic sour cream, and it's gonna blow your mind." And he just kept telling me that. And so I went home and I did it and it did. And it was, I happened to have a Modelo in the fridge and it just worked so well. We'll be doing this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of questions we from We have the so internet. many questions. I think we and, should get to questions. Okay. And then we can we, play more uh, barbecue games. chip Modelo. <laughs> okay. What would you pair with? Yeah. Um, while I pull these up. Wait, I have the, the, yeah, for, the first one that I really want to know because Mike and I, when we started uh, this podcast, we were... Um, we, I, I can't even remember how it came up, but this came up really early on about the shape of a glass affecting mm. the taste of a wine. And um, I, I don't want to call... No, okay. well, my dad. Okay. Come okay. on. So Mike's dad came down firmly because he'd taken a class in which he was like told that in no uncertain terms the shape of the glass will actually change the flavor mm. of a wine. And I didn't think that that was true. Well, okay. So in my opinion... They're just like anything. Psychology is a great um, aspect of every part of our life. So our, our enjoyment, our uh, the things that we taste have a lot to do with the experience in which we taste them. Same way that um, with food, if you gave someone the same ingredient, um, let's say on a paper plate with a plastic fork and a knife in, on a picnic bench, and you gave them that same ingredient, let's say it's like a, a piece of Kobe beef, in the setting of a fine dining restaurant with marble walls and white linen tablecloth, and you gave them this beautiful china and this immaculate silverware, their experience of eating that is two different things. Not to say one's better or worse, but that has a, such a big part of the way that we enjoy things. And in the wine world, it's the same thing. It's that... If we enjoy this and you didn't know anything about it out of Zalto stemware and it's like if it's lighter than air, the glass that you pick up, there's a certain elegance and um, finesse to that experience. Whereas if I poured this into you know, a Dixie cup and we were in a backyard and we were enjoying it, there's a difference in that experience. Not to say that one is better than the other. But that's the extent to which psychology kind of can have an effect on the way that we enjoy certain products. Whether the glass shape is a little bit larger or rounder or smaller, it makes no fucking difference in my yes. opinion. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> it's all, and I, it's all, it's, it's you can, I'm sure there's, was- listen, I'm sure there's articles online and someone's going to like send me the hate mail and say that, okay, no, it's not true. Look at this article that says scientifically, this is, hits your palate in this sense. Yeah. Well, at one point we thought the world was flat also. Like you could also, we could also say, make those same claims, but in my opinion that it doesn't matter. It's just the quality of the glass makes a difference the way you feel when you pick it up makes a difference there's like certain things like yeah you should pour in my opinion pour sparkling wine a little bit wider bowl than let's say a champagne
champagne flute, which is traditional because then it allows you to kind of swirl the wine and smell it a little bit more and it allows the bubbles to kind of dissipate a little bit, which allows more of the kind of the, the aromatics and the enjoyment on the palate to be a little bit better. But yeah, all of that stuff about like only wines go, it's all about tradition, you know, it's all about certain grapes go in certain wine glasses and we have to follow that tradition in a certain sense because of, you know, that's the way that it's structured, but yeah, it's it's a good amount of yes. <laughs> Matt's like the, mo- the most like, like uh, I don't know ele- elegantly constructed uh, answer to that question. Thank you. Love, because it's so, uh, in my experience, something like you know the favorite moments that I have with wine are often you know in a in a like a jam jar on a beach. Yeah, exactly. Or you yeah. know like, that kind of like, like hiking got, or camping, right, or, you know exactly. somewhere where you're out in the world and not necessarily in a fine well, dining or exactly proper well, glassware situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope that you know uh, as time goes on, we start to stop being so um, afraid of treating wine just like anything else. And you know, you would pour Coca Cola into whatever glass that you had available, and it's gonna feel different if you drink it out of the can or you have it out of the bottle or whatever it is. Like you asked me earlier, what should we, like, what, what glass? And that's the thing, like, people are afraid. You see people like me who are, like, sommeliers and deal with wine and all the time, and, you know, you're like, oh, do I have the right glassware to make them happy? I don't give a shit. Just pour it in whatever will get it to my mouth. We could all share it out of the bottle. If that, yeah, pass it around. Yeah. I've held a box of wine above my head and hit the spout. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Actually, that's funny. I had a pop-up where I was pouring wine out of the box, and we did that at the end of it. Like, everyone was just taking the box and just kind of chugging it through the... The nozzle there on that note one question we have is is your tongue special which i think what they really mean <laughs> it's rather long i can touch my nose with it really <laughs> yeah. all right next question cool <laughs> great um but on that end like i mean were you born do you believe like you know talent plus education like can are you a super taster and things like I, that i don't think that um I, I don't think i think taste has a lot to do with um exposure I think there is a um, like a great amount that someone can learn just by experiencing things. I think there's a great quote in Jiro Dreams of Sushi where he says to, I forget, he says to some one of his apprentices that, or maybe he just says it to the camera that you can't, um, you can't judge what, if something is good or not unless your taste, unless what you taste is always is good. Like you can't make great food if you don't eat great food, so to say. So I try and expose myself to everything. Um, and just through that experience, I can discern what I like and what I don't like. And I think that's, I mean, unfortunately, like the same way that, you know, you're, you either have a funny gene or you, I think there, I don't think, can you learn how to be a great standup? No. I don't know. I don't think so. You can't. Right? Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> so for that same, with, with that same thing, like you can't, like there's a certain level that you can learn, but there's a certain instinct that I think you have to have and i think hopefully everyone's lucky enough lucky enough in life to figure out what that instinct is for themselves in order to kind of delve into their whatever craft or their passions in life and i think for me like it's curating things like that's like my instinct is to be able to know like oh this is up and coming and it's cool and a lot of it to be honest with you has to do with the way that i learned the craft like when when ray that first guy that took me under his uh, wing at the coffee shop like he he was so good at knowing, I mean, he had one of the best coffee shops in LA before that was, you know, a thing, you know, to be able to know what's going to happen next, I think is something that you can't necessarily learn, but just have an instinct for. So what somebody wants to know, and I know that you personally don't 
get high. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're like, what's the perfect thing to pair with an indica, which is a body high? So it okay. kind of makes you like it turns your heart into a beanbag chair essentially okay. like that's kind of what an indica is it's right. just a nice body high yeah, yeah yeah um so they're like what's a great thing to drink when yeah. you're smoking an indica yeah and it's you know a sunday afternoon yeah. you're a little hungover yeah, yeah yeah okay i would say something lower in an abv and alcohol by volume i would say something that's like maybe 11 10 in alcohol um something with a little bit of sweetness to it to kind of like you know just like cuddle up with you know uh-huh. what I mean yeah like even something like this like the beachy pet max like a little bit of bubbles to make sure that you're still kind of like you feel a little tingling but at the same time it's like very like relaxing and it kind of pairs with that same experience like it's really honestly like when you think about pairing things there's like different ways you can go but it's a lot about it's a lot of the times about pairing just the feeling that you get or the experience with something that either matches it or does the polar opposite of it in order to balance it out? Oh, cool. So yeah. it's kind of like adding, it's like sweet salty if you were making yeah, a dessert. Exactly. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It accentuates it and then also balances it out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Or uh, or like uh, Thanos, if you've seen the Avengers. Okay. I have not, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Never well, heard of it. Time stamped this episode. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful actually i would like to ask one more question because we were chatting about this before you came over and i was like i want to know what a good um bs meter mm. would be like if i'm walking okay. into a restaurant <laughs> a i want to have a great dinner and i yeah. feel because this happened to us recently we were actually in whole foods yeah and we were sort of looking at the wine selection and this guy came over and he was like can i help you and i was like sure and then it immediately became super apparent that he knew way less than we did and I, I don't know anything, but I was like, you know nothing. Go, please go away. And mm. he wouldn't leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you have like a good bullshit detector secret for like if I walk into a restaurant or a wine store to know that someone doesn't know? Yeah, well, if they talk too much about it, they're, if, they're, if people like constantly talk to you about it, that's a good indicator that they don't, they don't really know what they're talking about. But people <laughs> in the wine world, they don't want to talk necessarily talk to you about wine. Um, and if they do... A lot of the people that have been in the industry for long enough are more in the same line that I am, where they're just they just want to chill, they just want to have something delicious, and that's it. They don't want to talk about like the more the more you want to talk about more expensive wine, the less you are a wine fan, and you're more a, f- a fan of um, looking like you're spending money in a, on expensive wine. So I think the more like the secret is the more you talk about, which goes in two ways, because the less you talk about wine, the more you can tell someone doesn't necessarily. Oh, you know what a good BS detector is? Yes. Actually? Yes. Lay it down. <laughs> so I can always tell if somebody works in the industry or if they know about wine, if when I pour them wine and they pick up the glass by the bowl, as opposed to the stem, whether they have enough wine experience or not. So. Wait, which is right? So <laughs> <laughs> let me preface this. Let me preface this by saying that neither one is is right or wrong. It's just whatever you'd like to do. That's just been my ethos. But it's, it's, in my opinion, a little bit, uh, well, okay, if it's more industry um, norm to grab it by the stem. Always grab the wine by the stem. If you grab it by the bowl, then A, like the bowl gets kind of greasy and it looks kind of cloudy. And then it also may heat up the wine that might not necessarily need to be heated up um, just because of your body temperature. So you can always like, if I'm like, is this person working in the industry or not? And I pour them and they grab it by the bowl like that as opposed to the stem. I go, okay, they're not in the industry. Ah, 
so, <laughs> so if you want to fool someone, yeah. that's the way to go. But also, it's in my opinion, like it, I, whenever I do teaching or I taste with people, I try and encourage them to grab it by the stem as opposed to the bowl, just because it gives you just like anything, like it's a like you know how you learn to drive. Like you know, there's a certain way that's more. You know, it's a better way to drive because it allows you to do certain things. A better way to, more efficient way to taste wine, I should say, is just grabbing it by the stem because you can swirl it a little bit easier. You won't expose any heat or smell from your hand to the bowl. And yeah, it's it's just, it also makes you look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. Uh, so the last thing that uh, Mary Jane and I came up with was uh, called Perfect Pear, mm-hmm. which harkens back to barbecue <laughs> chips with sour cream. Yeah. And there's just a couple of, like you know meals dishes things where yeah, yeah. If, if we could have some fun sure you could tell us what that perfect pair would be yeah 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 mm-hmm. uh so my first one it's very specific okay it's peanut butter and jelly all right crunchy peanut butter strawberry jelly because okay. if you like grape you're wrong all right um <laughs> and uh and like you know just a good whole wheat bread okay i'll start by saying this i think milk first of all <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> well, yes. well that's what I th- I mean honestly that's what the way I look at what I do is and eventually one point I hope to do this that it's not necessarily about what only what wine or what alcohol will go with things like what I do is about flavor combinations and that's why I love what I do it's about those combinations that take what you're enjoying to another level because of the interaction of those two things so there's certain classic things that you can't. And the way that I teach wine pairing to begin with is to always tell people, like when you're a kid and you're having this greasy cheese pepperoni pizza from the corner shop that's like drenched in grease and delicious, amazing, right? Yes. What is the best thing to, to enjoy when, you're, when you take a bite of that is an ice cold Coke, right? Yes. Why, yes. right? Why though? Ask yourself why. Because okay. you got spice from the pepperoni which is balanced by sweetness from the Coca-Cola. You have fat, a lot of fat from the cheese and just the, the pepperoni itself that gets balanced by the acidity. It cuts through that, which mm-hmm. Coke has a great amount of acidity. Um, and then you have the chill factor, which balances with the heat. So it's oh, that, wow. yeah, that combination. That's why that flavor combination is so perfect. The same thing could be said about a uh, cheeseburger and a Coke. So that same philosophy goes into all of all pairing in general so wines has those aspects there's wines with higher acid there's wines of sweetness like the one that we're enjoying now so those things would work like this would work well with pizza um so to answer your question my first go-to would be milk and eventually i hope to like pair things like there's no reason why we have to only pair things with wine except for the fact that it has alcohol in it and yeah. you know there's nothing wrong with getting drunk but my first go-to would be you know, a little peanut butter and jelly with milk. Yeah, um, it's also no- Yeah, it's also nostalgic, you know? Mm-hmm. So the reason why milk goes well with peanut butter and jelly is because you have richness and richness. So if I was going to pair a wine with that, I would say something that's a little bit richer in style. I would say a white wine. Um, I would say a rosé that's got a lot of really beautiful fruit quality to it to pair with that fruit from the jam and also a good level of acidity and maybe a little bit of sweetness because of the fact that you have some sweet components. So like if I was going to like a 101 on wine pairing, if, you know, your listeners are going to a restaurant or want to buy a bottle for a specific dinner, is there's a few things that you want to keep in mind. You always want to not necessarily pair flavor profiles with flavor profiles like, oh, I'm having, you know, uh, a tarragon um, salmon. I need to find a wine that has tarragon quality in, in it. That's not necessarily the route that you need to go. You need to just... Um, 
balance the the intensity of that food. So if it's a rich food, you want a richer style wine. If it's a very lean and light dish, then you want a lean and light wine. That's the first basic. And then there's things like spice that does really well with sweetness because it counteracts, like we said, with the Coke. So things with spice like Thai food do really well with semi-sweet foods, um, semi-sweet wines like Riesling is why a lot of times, you know, you hear Psalms pair uh, Riesling with Thai food. Um, oh. Yeah. Mm. It's the sweetness factor yeah. that, that mm. pairs a bit well with the spice. Um, protein, like big steaks, do really well with rich tannic wines because protein and tannin have a really beautiful marriage together. Um, so things like the wine that I brought you or Cabernet Sauvignon is why Cabernet Sauvignon is traditionally a very tannic, very grippy, like it fills your mouth with texture and it dries your mouth out. Like that quote unquote tannin marries with that protein in the steak really well and that's why you always hear people have cabernet sauvignon with steak so those are those are two kind of um baselines for where to do pairings from it's bigger wines with tannin for meatier things sweeter things with spice and the matching uh, intensity of foods bigger wines with bigger foods amazing Amazing. Broke it down. Yeah. But anyway, if there's more individual dishes, I'm happy to... We'll throw a couple more out. Yeah. Uh, Movie popcorn. Mm. What do you sneak into the Arclight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's... Look, don't ask me what I do, because when I'm not at work, it's always just cheap Mexican beer with lime and whiskey. (laughs) Yes. um, Because I drink wine so much on a regular basis that I don't want to drink wine when I'm not at work. But I think, like, cheap shitty like oaky chardonnay might be really fun yeah yeah like really like cougar juice yes <laughs> <laughs> like cougar juice with like buttery rich popcorn they're both kind of rich things and it's kind of fun and i love like kitschy things like that can you say some more about cougar juice please? <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy sell in a restaurant i'll tell you i'll tell you that but talk about observation identifying what to sell yeah. <laughs> Ooh, man i'm crying <laughs> Is there people you want to shout out, places you want to plug, yourself, any information so people could just say, hey? No, I just want people to just drink wine and have fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have a a website, brandonmarati.com, and yeah, same thing for Instagram, brandonmarati, but... Oh, they can come to the restaurant? Yeah, you can come to Somni, have some wine with me. That's the best, like, when you guys came in, like, the best experience is feeling like, and I was just telling this to somebody the other day, that when it feels like my work is just sharing wine with friends, like what we're doing right now, but in a context where you're eating food as well. And like that to me is the kind of what I go for when I do what I do. So I would love to share some wine with everybody. Yeah, beautiful. (laughs) That's it. Um, it. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for being here with us. And truly, will you please come back and we can talk comedy? Yeah, that would be fun. I would be totally into that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much out there. Heck yes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Weed and Grub. You can find us at Weed and Grub across all social media or email us at weedandgrub at gmail.com. Thanks. I'm Mike Glazer. I'm Mary Jane Gibson. Bye-bye. Bye.